International Women's Day, celebrating the women at the Hit Network. Hi, I'm Gemma Fordham and I'm the head of the Hit Network. And in celebration of International Women's Day, we are talking to the wonderful women that we have on the network. And now I'm joined by Carrie Bickmore um, in her lounge room at home. International Women's Day, I think some people are vocal about it being a day that's ridiculous and then there are some people that think it's incredibly important and for the network we obviously primarily talk to women but we talk to men as well and we place value on the impact that men have in women's lives too but the most important thing that we believe is as a team is that International Women's Day is the opportunity to vocalise where there's still vast differences in equality for women be it whether it's you know pay equality or the number of women that are in executive roles in industries, the lack of women in parliament, that kind of thing. So if it's one day that we get to highlight that, sure, absolutely, it should be every day that it's highlighted. But even if for one day it makes some people think differently, then, then that's ultimately a good thing. Uh, 100%. I mean, it's like your birthday. Every day you should be made to feel <laughs> special, but there's one day of the year where you can be made to feel extra special and people yeah. can vocalise to you how important you are to them. Yeah. I think International Women's Day is the same, you know, and I think every single day a huge proportion of our community and society is driving to make equality, you know, make the world mm. a fairer place and, and for equality. But if there's one day where we can just remind people of some of the statistics around it that mm. they may not know that mm. aren't spoken about, if it can just be that reminder of, oh, yeah, you know, we are still collectively fighting for this, we haven't achieved it yet, then I, I think having a day is great. And I think how people choose to mark that day is very varied. And yeah. I think there's no right or wrong way to do it. I think mm. it's very different for some women, as you said, are far more vocal on that day. Other women just use it as a moment to pause and go, oh, this is how far we've come. This is how far we've got to go. Yeah. Other times it could just be someone who's not even really aware of the day or, you know, um, the significance of it, just to hear about it briefly, you know, on the radio and go, oh, right, and then get on with their day. Like, I think it means something different for everybody. You did something really beautiful. You've done it for the last few years, but what have you done? Do what you have remember? I done? No. What did you do last year? <laughs> what did I do it last year? And the year before? What did I do? You sent flowers. Oh, to you. Oh, yeah. And to other women, not just me. She did. Oh, my God. I do. No. Um, do you, well, I started a couple of years ago. I realised that I wouldn't be where I am in my life without um, the significant women in my life, both personally and professionally. And I feel like as women, we're always the ones remembering to give you know, organise the presents for kids' birthday parties and organise our partners' presents for their birthdays and all the rest of it, that I was like, oh, no, I want to tell other women how much I've appreciated their help in my life and just to pretty much give them a little, you know, mm. some beautiful flowers for a day. It was beautiful, um, And so I, st- I did it one year about three years ago and then I, and I keep doing it and, you know, different women come into my life each year and they get it and other women stay and, they, you know, so it's a moving feast every year. Yeah, but I think you've had you... it a couple of years now. I've had it You're a still few years in a row. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you a bit like it, this is interesting for me because you and I have two relationships I feel really lucky to have that we have the work relationship that's how I met you that's how you met it's how you <laughs> met me and I know that whole professional side and what you've been through in your career and then we're also we've also got a friendship which I really value too so I want to talk to you a little about some things because I think it's important that women share their stories to understand that they're not alone or that, that it's okay if they choose to have a career or not have a career. So maybe indulge with me for a moment. Mm-hmm. So for people who don't know, what you've obviously now had success for many years. What, how did you get there? What did you want to do when you were a little girl? If you look at that and on my way here today, 
I saw on the freeway massive billboard of you and Tommy and I was really proud for you because I think you've really earned all the success. But what did you want when you were a teenage girl? Well, I was looking back at some photos the other day because I do a photo book every year of, like, of mm. life just so that I, um, you know, have a quick reference to remember what I've done with the year because they go so fast. <laughs> um, and that's my one commitment with myself every year I do a photo book. And I was looking back at a heap of them and I did one recently of my childhood because, you know, we had random photos. Mum had some and my sisters had some. And, and I found a photo of me dressed in a beret holding a toilet roll holder mm. and I was being a journalist and that was, I think, my... 13th or 14th birthday and I was like oh so back then I must have thought that was kind of something I wanted to do and my dad worked in radio he worked for a stereo for many years and was one of the sort of founding people involved in it and so every time I came to visit I grew up in Perth born in Adelaide but grew up in Perth but every time I came to Adelaide to visit him during school holidays he was still working so I'd go into work with him and I'd sit on the floor of his office and I'd hear all the conversations while I'd do my drawing and write in my diary and stuff and I'd go in to see the announcers do their thing on air and at SAFM in Adelaide and I loved it in there. And I think I wasn't at the time noticing it, but I think it was rubbing off on me yeah. and that I was enjoying that space. And then we, I also loved dancing and we had a careers advisor come to our school, I think it would have been maybe 10 or 11, I can't remember exactly. But anyway, she said, what did I want to do with my life? And I said, I wanted to be a dancer. And she said, well, that's not really a career that you could be probably that successful in, having never seen me dance. I thought that was pretty um, yeah. offensive. Yeah. Uh, she was right. <laughs> but, I mean, I've enjoyed it for my whole I life. I have seen you dance, so you're a very good dancer. Yeah, I have made a career out of it. Um, but I think she was trying to get at the idea that that's great, keep pursuing yeah. that, but perhaps think of something that you, you know, might have more chance in, which I, I look back on now and I have mixed feelings about because I think you should encourage people to follow their passions yeah. but in that instance without knowing it she was spot on yeah. and she said what else do you like doing and I said I like talking and she said why do you look at a career in journalism and so it was really kind of that was that simple and I was like okay it sounds good and I um, finished my year 12 and then went and studied journalism, went straight into uni and then I was in this my second year of uni and I said to dad I'd really love to do some work experience. Can I come over on my school holidays to SAFM? And he, he was like, I'll see what I can do. And so he just said to the newsroom, you know, would you be happy to have, you know, my daughter come in? And they said, no worries. And so I went in every morning at like 4.30 in the morning and on the school holidays and I just sat and watched what they did and stuff. And then I finished my degree and in my, my final year of my degree. That's commitment in itself, by the way. Getting up at, at yeah, yeah, and getting up at 4.30 and having the drive to say, can I just come and... Yeah, I used to drive yeah. my nana's old, she had this old little brown car that had no heating in it and in Adelaide in the middle of winter, it was so cold and I remember just driving in there being like, why am I doing this? It's so cold. <laughs> yeah, and then when I, got in, when I was in third year uni, they were saying at the end of uni, everyone applies for jobs and that's when the market gets flooded with people. So try and find a job outside of the usual time. Right. And so I think I still had six months to go and I didn't want to use Dad because I thought I really wanted to start my career without sort of using Dad. So I, I hit up 92.9 in Perth and I sent a letter saying, could I come for work experience? And they said, you know, no, they were full at that time. And then I went back again and sort of pleaded with them. And in the end, they let me come in. And so I did a week of work experience in the newsroom in the morning. And then I just asked if I could stay on. And so for six months, I used to go in there three mornings a week. I'd do that on the weekends occasionally as well after I'd been out till like four in the morning. It's <laughs> all right. Still showed commitment. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember one day um, the girl that was doing the, the news shift got a vomiting bug and 
I rang Nick Nolan, who was the news director at the time, and I said to him, she's sick, you're going to have to get someone to come in. And he said, oh, oh no, you can do it. I'm like, I can't do it. Like, I'm your work experience kid. He goes, mate, you're practically like furniture, like, you know, you've been living in there for six months now, you can do here's it. Your, here's your moment. I said, I wouldn't be able to read a news bulletin. And he said, you don't know that every time you've been practising in it, because I used to go into the booth after mm. nine o'clock and just practise and practise. He goes, we can hear you out here. <laughs> yeah, they like, would. What? And he goes, I've been listening to you. I know you can do it. You go do it. Yeah. And so from that, I went on there and, and did a couple of the news reads. And then on the Monday, he called me and said, do you want a full-time job? And so that was how it, was, that it all started. And I really am so thankful to him because he sat there, you know, next to me and he showed me how he wrote, you know, his news bulletins. Yeah. And, you know, he was reading news, breakfast news, on like every 15 minutes during traffic. And yeah. yet he was so patient and so kind. Yeah, and so I stayed there for a few years and then I heard about my dad lived in Melbourne and I'd always kind of wanted to come and spend a bit of time with him and I knew that Nova had started in Sydney mm. and was about to start in Melbourne. So I sent some air checks to Nova and then I remember the programming director at the time, Dan Bradley, contacted me and said, I'm actually in town in Perth. I just heard you read a news bulletin mm. on air. Can you meet with me? And I was like, okay. And he said, we probably need to do this on the down low though because I was working yeah. <laughs> for you guys. Yeah, for time. us, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I went and met him and then I remember him texting me just before I went to meet him to say, okay, so all of your board and bosses have just arrived for a coffee at the same place. Oh, no. Saying, so what we need to chance? go somewhere else. <laughs> so we went somewhere else. Anyway, and then he went back home and he offered me a job and I came over to Melbourne, relocated, and I, my first day on air was the Nova's first day on air. It was the day I turned 21. It was my birthday. God, that's December. Yeah. Such a baby. I know. And that's where it sort of all began. And I started mm. reading news. And then after reading news for about, I think, six months to a year, I used to do some bits and pieces. I read Drive News with the announcer who was on air, Andy Ross. He'd just get me in to have some fun with him pretty much. I think he got bored being mm. in there on his own. And then they offered us an actual drive show and said, you know, we'd love you to be the Andy and Carrie drive show. And so we did that for a little bit. And then I'll never forget, we went number one. And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And then the next day they called us in and said, actually, we don't feel like it's really working at the moment. <gasps> yeah. And really? So, I didn't know this part. I didn't yeah. know this part. And so I went back off it and they said, but we want you to read Breaking News with Hughie and Kate. So I went down to do Breaking News and I was so devastated. And I was in such yeah. shock, I think, because I thought being sort of going number one was what the aim was and everything, yeah. but there was so much more to it. And, you know, looking back, I was so green and, mm. you know, we had so much fun, Andy and I, together, and he's still a friend of mine now. But I, I'm not sure that I was ready for it mm. or that it sounded right at the time. And it's But still anyway, I was been tough. gutted and I yeah. remember my dad calling my dad and I was like, that's it, I hate radio, I never want to do it anymore. <laughs> and, you know, I'm always so emotional, the poor guy, and he was like, okay. He said, you just got to go in there tomorrow. He said, things change so quickly in radio. Go in there, put your head down, just work hard, and it'll all swing back around and you'll be fine. Mm. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. You try going in there tomorrow. And, you know, anyway, like with my dad, he tells me things, I say no, and then it sits with me for a little bit, and then I was like, he's right. So when I calmed down, I yeah. did that, and I just kept working hard, and then... A couple of months later, I got offered the job on Rove. So, and I started doing the Rove show, which was great, and um, worked with Hughie and Kate for a couple of years. And yeah, and things sort of turned around. And from Rove, I went on to do the project. project. And, yeah. What was it like when you got the phone call to do the project? Oh, it was interesting because I really was enjoying doing Rove. So, uh, when I started doing Rove, I think when I was 25, and even that, I didn't realise yeah. what I was meant to do. I thought they just wanted me to read like a news spot, like yeah. do a news update. And so, when I went for the audition for that, 
they said, I'll read this script. And I was reading it thinking, what is going on here? I just didn't even understand what I was mm. reading. I was like, it's kind of funny, but aren't I reading the news? And, oh, that's a bit wrong. And that's a bit, mm. <laughs> I just, and I said, oh, do you want me to try and be, like, do this in a funny way? And they're like, no, 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 no. We just want you to read this, like, just straight, straight. news. And I was like, but it's not straight news. I think they thought I was just so <laughs> like, Just do it as straight news. I just didn't get what mm. it was. Yeah. I think it took me a few months to get what it was, even when I was doing the job. And so when I went for that job, and then they called me the next day and said, oh, you know, you got it. And I was like, I don't even know what job I got. Like, what am I doing? And then I did that for a season. And then after that, they said, oh, we want you to become a regular part of the team with Pete and, and Rove and come and sit on the couch. And to be honest, when the project came up, I'd been on Rove, I think, four or five years, and I was loving doing Rove. Mm. So... I was like, oh... I think I'd rather stay with Rove and they were like, you know, no, this is a great opportunity, you should try. And then, and even when I went for the auditions for the the project, I was only auditioning as the news girl. So there was going to be two hosts. They got me in for every audition for the two hosts in the middle. They had Charlie at the end just helping them out as the comedian and me helping out as the news person. So we sat through every audition for everyone that came through the middle. Yeah. And then at the very last day they said, oh, do you guys want to try being in the middle. Yeah. But I think because we'd had the, the bonus of being in every single Yeah, audition, you were like, we're going to nail we like, this. Yeah. <laughs> so we sat in the middle and then Husey was there on that day as well. So it was Husey, Charlie and I. And so we kind of auditioned together and then that's how it kind of started. And mm. I think even when we went to air, the plan was always for me to sort of have a lesser role. Mm. And I think that just kind of evolved over time. And, yeah, Charlie and Husey and I couldn't have been more different but yet we had this great rapport because I'd worked with Susie on radio for so many years and yeah. had been through through Rove because yeah. he was on Rove. So we got along really well and I'd never had much to do with Charlie and we just connected straight away. So even so, all of the jobs I've done, they kind of quite, often they came about quite organically. Yeah. Yeah. This one didn't come about no. very organically though. <laughs> just your I literally consistent. hounded you <laughs> for like a year, more than a year. <laughs> you know, you did a good job there. <laughs> but I also realised how measured you are. In Am I? S- yeah, you are. My dad wouldn't say that. He's like, you're yeah. an emotional No, Oh, no, you are very emotional, <laughs> but that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But you're very measured and very selective about what you say yes to. I'm not a big risk taker. Yeah. Weirdly, I've taken some massive risks in my life when I think about some of the jobs that I've done. But in my head, I'm so I don't like to say yes to anything I don't feel I can do a really good job of. Yes. And the interesting thing about the role that you have with the Hit Network is that it did take a while for you to jump on board and we spoke for ages and we got it to a point where we figured out how can we actually logistically make this work <laughs> because you're at Channel 10 and yeah. we we just would overcome every hurdle together. You know, you were a big part of that. You'd go, well, what if we tried it this way? And so we just found a way to make it work. You found a way. You've been very generous. Well, we you both found a way. Found a way. <laughs> I um, pretty much said I can't do it unless I can do it between this hour at work. I was like, like, yeah. I can make that happen. <laughs> And then I think when we were, I was trying to extend the show, you're like, I don't have any more time. And I remember us sitting on the floor in LA in my hotel, hotel room. room, drawing out. I was like, what if we did this here and, and this move year? this break? And yeah, you yeah. quickly run out and do your voiceovers in this break here. Next thing you you're know, very you're very like, persuasive. Yeah. You're very persuasive. I, the but, thing with you, Gemma, is I say yes, and then immediately afterwards go, why did I let her convince me to do that? And then in the end, it works out okay. And then in the end, <laughs> but this is the thing that I think back on to the last couple of years with the show and Tommy's obviously a huge part of the show too. I remember you saying to me in the beginning, just so you know, I'm not going to talk about my personal life. And I said, that's okay. And in my head, I thought, 
I'll get you there. But I was yeah. like, that's okay. Cause I wanted you to be comfortable and I wanted you to feel like you had control over your journey on, on air as well. And I cut to now where the, ha- the show is literally coming from your house. We're in your house right now With recording Tommy this. knitting me yesterday. And Tommy's <laughs> knitting you. And I think about that and it just makes me laugh. And in fact, over the last 18 months or two years with the show, you now share everything. And I think that's why people love the show so much. And I think it's been so beautiful to watch you flourish and feel comfortable in the space. I think when I set out to be a journalist, quite genuinely, this was late 90s, I did not want to be a celebrity or I didn't even know what that kind of world was, meant Mm. anything. I just wanted to be a journalist and I wanted to share the news with people. That's what my main goal was. Mm. And then due to the nature of the way the world's changed and moved, I think also because of some of the the things that happened in my personal life meant that my journey sort of changed along the way and I started sharing information with people and parts of my life with people always very wary that I was the one in the public eye but my family and friends weren't. So I was Mm. always so cautious about how much I spoke about things, especially, you know, with Greg, my my late husband who was sick. That was our journey, obviously, but that was his journey. And I have always, even with launching my foundation, you know, I I share so much of the pain Mm. and all the rest of it and the suffering so that people understand why we're doing it and people in the same situation can feel that comfort and understand that, you know, I've been on that journey as well. But at the same time, there's parts of that journey that are not for me to share for him. That was his journey. Yeah. And I have always felt a little bit about that with my life as well, with my kids, with my, you know, my my family, broader family, that just because I chose to be in the public eye, they didn't. Mm. And so for a long time, I was very careful about what I, what I chose to talk about. I know that I benefited and I still benefit from seeing some Kate Langbrooks of this world and Chrissy Swan and all these people share moments of their life that make me feel like I'm not alone. I'm not the only mum that's trying to do 50 million things. And I benefited from that. And if I can help one other person by sharing a bit of my life, then I will and I would. But it took a long time for me Mm. to get to that point, but still very much through the filter that I have a family. And, Mm. you know, I I always think of them first before I share. I think it is that barrier because it is such a gift to connect with people and to have the ability to talk to people and go, hey, I'm going through the same struggles that you are. That's really, that's such an important thing. And I think we overlook that sometimes. And you've really embraced that in the last couple of years. And I think that's why you're seeing the result, you know, you're seeing people really respond to you. Oh, and an example. Well, I was going to say Instagram's a funny world because I, for a long time, I'm on Instagram and I, I like pretty pictures so I look at things on Instagram and you know just love a little insight into people's world and then over when I was pregnant I noticed because Instagram has this incredible thing where it curates everything and yeah. assumes it knows what you want to <laughs> well, look at yeah I just kept seeing pregnant women after pregnant women all looking absolutely <laughs> glamorous and beautiful and happy and I was in so much pain but I realized that I was looking glamorous because obviously I get hair and makeup done for the project every single night but it was not how my natural state yeah. at all. And the number of people would go, oh, my God, I wish I looked like that. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I don't either. I do because I've just spent an hour in hair and makeup, yeah, but I do not look like that. And I'm in so much pain. And, and so then I started, I consciously started thinking, gosh, if I only show, and I wasn't trying to just show the pretty pictures. It's that's yeah. when I'd choose to take the photo because I felt good because yeah. I looked better than I'd looked at 7 a.m. this morning. I thought then everyone's going to start thinking the way I feel about all those other images, yeah. that that must be what happens in my world all day long, yeah. that I'm walking around in my activewear looking glamorous. And it's just so far from the truth. So I started trying to consciously go, post that photo now, not the nice one. And yeah. 
And then I notice when I do that, the number of people will be like, oh, my God, yeah. that's what happened to me or well, that's yes. what, you know. And then when I posted it, the image over Christmas of um, <laughs> I took this nice Instagram pic and then I yeah. took, posted the actual picture that Chris had taken of me asleep with my daughter on the yeah. couch <laughs> that in my head which looks is so much better than what it, was it actually fantastic. looks like. Yeah. And I saw it and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> that's not going on Instagram. And I thought, oh, no, that's what should go on Instagram. Yeah. And then I just watched, you know, hundreds of thousands of people like Love it and it. comment it. And I thought I've always been quick to dismiss social media because mm. I think it can be a really revolting place. I really think it can. And I think I don't know what the where the world's headed with it and what's going to happen and I fear for my children when they have to because mm. it, it's a full-on place. Yeah. But I'm on it and I'm in it and I'm in the media, which is currently around that space, so I'm trying to work out how to use it and how... That doesn't mean that it can't be a place for nice pictures and images, but I'm just trying at the moment to work out how I can also use it as a place to show that life's not permanently like that. And I don't think we've cracked it yet, but I, I'm, I'm trying to work it out because I think it can be a dangerous place otherwise, a rabbit hole of everyone else's life is better than mine. Yeah, you know? and keep doing that because I think that I commend you for doing it because women, including myself, really appreciate that because it makes us feel good about our own lives, you know? Well, I mean, we're all just in the yeah. same hell together, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> the same guilt-ridden yeah. hell. <laughs> no, it's happy. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> but you and I often will trade texts and I think I called you actually a couple of weeks ago and I was complaining about something. I thought talking about school, school, drop school, off, school, school yeah. drop-off. And you were so good. You were like, no, you don't need to do that. Just that you, you, But you had really great advice. I think it talking, we know with work that you're a superstar and you have to manage the, the juggle as much as we hate talking about the juggle. You do have the juggle because you've got three children and you have two jobs and you're also a partner yeah. and a daughter. And, you know, I probably don't do any of them very well. <laughs> the more jobs you add, the less you do them well. But the thing is, is do we ever feel like we do them no. well? Yeah. yeah, we don't. But then I think about the personal life, which is part of that as well. And I also think you've been through a lot in life, as you mentioned before, when Greg passed, your late husband, and you were young. When, yeah, how old were you when you 20, got, when he got sick? 21, I think, or 22, yeah, when he got sick. But you also... I didn't know anything Didn't know anything different. different. No, I, I, like, it certainly shaped who I am today, but I often think perhaps I dealt with it better at that time because I didn't know any in other way. way. Yeah, yeah. That is certainly at that age as well, yes, it would have shaped you, but also how much that would have taught you about yourself. And well, it, it was interesting. Work was an interesting piece in my life at that point in time and I wonder also whether, you know, Greg, without knowing it, gave me the gift of a passion for my mm. career because cause life was quite full-on and hard, you know, very much for him but me there watching him and trying to support him and help him the best way I could. Work actually just for a few hours a day was a bit of a release and I'd come to work and, you know, people would often ask, you know, how I was going and they'd always ask how Greg was going but it was just a space that was fueled by so much other different stuff yeah. that I'd go, oh, and I'd do that for a bit and then I'd almost get re-energised to come mm. home and, and, you know, I'd tell Greg what happened with my days. So it gave us something other than, you know, what was going on yeah. in our lives to talk about. And, yeah. and I had a working mum. So, like, I grew up, my mum went had a full-time job. So I'm, I often get into these conversations with people where they talk about what's it like being a working mum and stuff and, like, we could talk for hours about <laughs> how challenging it is. But to be honest, I didn't know another way. So I never was trying to do something different yes. or going, okay, make a decision. Am I going to be a working mum or not? That's just what my mum did. So I just yeah. thought that's 
I guess that's just what I did. Yes. I didn't, I've never stopped to think about it until I'm overwhelmed and in a heap in the morning and then I go, oh my God, like, <laughs> is there another way? Do I need to be doing this? So what's the, you know, yeah. but other, I just went on that path because yeah. that's all I'd ever known. Yeah. And now I stop and think every now and then now, and, you know, I had no option. We needed to, you know, have money, money in the family yeah. and all that kind of thing. And occasionally, especially going back to back to work at the three different stages of going back from maternity leave with each of my children, there's been different motivations. Sometimes it's been financially. Other times it's been maybe for fear of my job. Other times it's been, I just really want to go back. Yeah. There's been different, it's sort of changed yeah. a lot along the way. But it's interesting when I've had the choice of am I ready or not, I don't have to go right mm. now. That's when the emotions overwhelm you because yeah. I love my job. And I really love being at home with the kids. And now it seems like, you know, you've got beautiful family. You've got, you know, stability in your career. You've got a really great life. What... Isn't that such an outside perception? Well, this is, this is where I'm going. What is the reality for you? Is that how you see it? I, I'm not going to speak on behalf of women everywhere. I can only say myself. But I don't think you ever feel secure in any part of your life at any point in time. Maybe mm. people do and I just don't. I'm always always looking what the next thing ahead is work-wise in case this current thing ends and then I need to have my next plan or in case, you know, personally I'm always like, we can do this better, we can do home life better, we can do, mm. I can do raising the kids better, I can do, I'm always, I'm never just, oh, this is good, I've cracked it. Good. I'll just sit here right, and I'm enjoy going, it all. Yeah, yeah, good, I've got it. Um, when I'm at work, I pretty much want to be home and when I'm at home, I'm really looking forward to going to work. So yeah. there's never a point, you know, where, and I've been really trying to take moments. Yes. Do you have any time left for yourself? Um, I go to Pilates occasionally. That's Ooh. my... That's my time. That's your thing. It doesn't thing. happen very often. But when it does, <laughs> I get a moment, I'm like, oh, I'll quickly go do Pilates. Or go. Even when I go for a walk, I normally take the kids. I'm not on my yeah, own. Yeah, you're not I do on that. your own. But, yeah. but I mean, I, I, love, I love being on my own, which as a kid, I never did. I hated being on my own. And I love my own time now. And maybe that's because I'm really on my own. Yeah. Like in the car, when I drive to work. Oh, is that with no best? kids and I put music on I'm like oh my god yeah. I can listen to whatever I want sometimes it's our station sometimes it's, <laughs> it's always our station oh, sometimes it's older older yes, stations older yeah no you said it I didn't say it <laughs> um yeah I you know putting music on music is music is my life so mm. music and a coffee and my drive to work which yeah. takes 20 minutes I'm happy I have to say it's so nice to see you to have watched you from afar and admired you from afar and really be in awe of the work that you've done also as foundation founder is that a word <laughs> I just made that up I have to say it's so nice to see you at your life at this point because you do you have worked so hard and you do so much good for people and you've just got this beautiful spirit and it's Aww. it's really infectious for all of us that get to hear you every day and for all of us in the office in the studio that get to be part of that every day it's very much appreciated and well, I know I know that life's not perfect but I think you're doing a pretty damn good job of oh, 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 little Adelaide's she, no no she's agreeing with me I'm you're saying pee. hello it's my time yeah. I want my food oh thank you thank you. Well, you know what I wouldn't have been able to do any of this without the opportunity you've given me so it's just a big loving it's a big, big loving <laughs> well thank you for sharing your story for International Women's Day thank you and now you can celebrate with this little woman hi International Women's Day celebrating the women at the hit network